Welcome to another New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, the A-Team, consisting of... Martin Theobald. And... Hmm. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> New Age Boxing! Terry! <laughs> That's how you sing in your band. <laughs> That's the worst 30 seconds anyone's ever heard. <laughs> Literally is nothing like the way that we... I mean, maybe it's a gap in the market that I'm not exploiting with it, but... Andy made his band debut at a weekend. Big up, Andy. Ooh, yeah. And the ghostly echoes, or whatever you're called. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. It's completely... Andy Van Halen. <laughs> we're going to do a, a New Age music podcast. Yeah. Um, but for now, we're listening to the New Age Boxing Podcast, and we will be talking about all the things that happened this last weekend, including the Wembley card, the Cardiff card, and the Brentwood card. Um, anything to add before we start? Uh, no, I'm off. Uh, when am I this? I'm off tomorrow down to the uh, Bleed for this. That new boxing film that's coming out about Vinny Pazienza, the you guy. You jammy bastard. You know what? I tried to blag it, so I tried to email the bastard. So, so, mate, I'm just writing to confirm I'm showing up. Can you just respond? Let <laughs> <laughs> me know I'm still on the list. And I got no response from get, the bastards. Uh, no, I Fuck got, him. <laughs> I've chanced that, really. I got uh, an invite off of a boxer uh, that doesn't want to be named because he's a very nice man. He doesn't want all the... Uh, he doesn't want to be thanked for it or whatever. Um... Who, yeah, sorted me out a ticket to go down for the kind of premiere of it tomorrow night, which should be good fun um, down in London. So I'll give a bit of a film review next week as well about what it's like. Uh, but yeah, Vinny Pazienza, guy who broke his neck in a car crash in between stints of being a world champion. So he, he had his, he refused to have his neck fused and carried on training, essentially, and went on to win another world championship post uh, this car crash so it should be he's going to be there as well he's uh, he's making the trip over to the UK for it so I'm looking forward to that tomorrow night I'm not going to lie listen if I don't get that confirmation email all of you stream that film yeah. <laughs> download it st- I mean pirate destroy it, the film industry yeah no, how, how dare they because they haven't invited the mighty Terry Chapandama yeah mm. okay well what has Terry got to say about Friday's clashes in Brentwood anything um, good, good card. Um, if you if you look at it, you know Eddie Hearn put his, you know, I'm gonna call it the sink or swim card now on Saturday, and Warren did his similar <laughs> sink or swim card on the Friday. Um, you know, headlined by Bradley Skeet beating John Thane, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I've seen bits of it. Skeet schooled him for twelve rounds. It was, but. But Skeet should be getting rid of guys like that. I think Skeet's still he hurt British his hand. Level. I think oh, um, was his reasoning for it. They didn't look for the stoppage. But I think he's a guy. I look at Bradley Skeet. Got a lot of time for Bradley Skeet as just as a man. Like you know, this is a man who's British champion will still turn up at an Ellsfield amateur boxing show, just sit there with the crowd and get involved. Yeah, he you still know? drives around doing his own tickets and yeah, delivering them. He's a real, real old school type of guy. Got a lot of time for him. You know, he doesn't need to rush to European and world level. Let him just solidify. You know, you know, working with guys like Eddie Lamb. Big shout out to Eddie Lamb. So that was good. Boy Jones Jr. winning. Good to see him go the distance. That fight should have been stopped. <clears throat> yeah. Martin Hillman had nothing after the sixth round. Fair play to Martin Hillman for sticking in there. Martin Hillman's tough as nails. Um, he's had a couple of losses in the past, but he should have been pulled out of that. It seems like a theme of the evening. Uh, it's a it's a theme in boxing. We, we're going to probably talk about it more often, but yeah, it's yeah. Uh, <clears throat> there was no need for him to be in there after the sixth round because he wasn't going to win that fight. And then I think what was it Lee Markham for the English? So he against Andrew won, Robinson, which that's a good fight. Got yeah, like Lee Markham. Kind of wonder why he's never just made that step up because you always get the sense that 
there's something in there with Lee Markham. I don't yeah. know if you saw the interview with him post-fight, but he was basically saying, look, people know now I'm in this for the money. Like, will I, will I have a rematch of Andrew Robinson? Of course I will. If someone's going to pay me the right amount of money, I'll do that. If someone's going to pay me the right amount of money to go and challenge for the British, I'll go and challenge for the British. He basically was like very honest about it, and I respect that, Lee Markham, that he said, I will go where the money fights are. And, you know, ultimately that's what all fighters are about, but he's one of the few that actually comes out and says it, unlike, say, Tony Bellew, who we'll discuss later. <laughs> do we have to? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, actually. Um, no, but the Essex card was... It was good. Um, Anthony Yard was on there as well. I forgot. Um, stop, stopped. Don't ask me. Ferenc, whatever the guy's name is, Hungarian guy, stopped him with a peach of a left hook. Like the guy tried to get up, and uh, you knew it was a bad one when the dra- guy tried to get up, and then was just like, "Nah." Can I throw this out there? It's, I don't know. I think we're probably going to come across a few controversial points today. That fight was pointless. That does nothing for Anthony well, Yard. Well, Anthony Yard was 1-100 to 100 on to win that fight. Like, there are learning fights, and then there's just going in there and punching a bloke for a round <laughs> so, that doesn't punch back. So that it's like is, a human speed bag. <laughs> so, no, but the thing about Anthony Yard now, you can see what Warren does with him. No, supremely talented guy, for the record. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that. It, it, but Warren will put him on there because... He might not be sure about some of his mm. fighters, but you know, once you put Anthony Yard in there, someone's going down. So, yeah, so someone of that standard is going yeah. down. Yeah, so he gets he gets the crowd hyped, and the way Anthony does it as well, it's normally a, a left hook. It's brutal. Yeah, he was brutal. You guys have talked about Anthony Yard before, so give us some sort of profile on him. How old is he? What weight is he? And what um, and what's he's been his career highlight so far? So, so Anthony Yard is from the same same stock as O'Hara Davis. We go back four years now. When I really started to get into my coaching, there were these, there were the, there were these young Turks. Anthony Yard is one of them. O'Hara Davis was another. Junior Benjamin was the third, and I forget who the others are. So, so they were the core, and they worked with a guy called Baba Tunde Jai. And Tunde Jai is a Mayweather disciple. So he, everything Floyd does, he believes is the way is the way to box. So these kids worked their nuts off. I've never seen this. Christmas Day 2012, they're putting videos on YouTube of them not eating dinner, training. Training their nuts off in Derek Tesora's gym. So, they're an exceptional bunch and the reason why we expect so much of them is that they are exceptional. None of them had great amateur careers. So, O'Hara Davis, I think it was 12 bouts, um, 11 stoppages. Anthony Yard was something similar. Um, Junior Benjamin boxed Mark, not Mark Bateson, Jack Bateson in the schoolboys when he was 13. Didn't box in the amateurs after that, but was signed to Mayweather until he had medical issues, which meant he couldn't fight. So, so this is a promising group of youngsters, but we can't rush Anthony Yard because you can knock out guys in the amateurs and you can knock out Hungarian journeymen. But when you start to look at guys like Frank Buglioni, when you start to look at guys like Hosea Burton, then you're looking at a different order of capability needed to win those fights. So there's no rush in him because he's only, I think, Anthony Yard's 23, 24. Yeah, I completely agree with all that. I just, I don't think he's getting, there's no benefit. He didn't learn anything from that fight. I would, I would just have liked to have seen, you know, that's a job of a matchmaker. That's a job of the late, you know, brilliant Dean Powell is that you can pick an opponent that will help you um, build something you know if you've shown a weakness of some sort in your last fight but he's not showing any weaknesses because these opponents are so poor for him um, that he's not getting the opportunity to learn anything uh, it's just it was an observation can don't I, get me wrong can, he, can I speculate on one point I think a lot of people have sparred him and you know the, the sparring grapevine says actually this guy's <coughs> it's not worth having to get in the ring with him so I think there's some people who are like Oh, absolutely! I'm, give me stupid money. I'm sure the budget to get an opponent for him is going to have to increase, you know, by the fight. Um, and what weight is he? Light heavy. Moving up to cruiser, probably. I guess he's a north end of light heavy, and he. I don't yeah. think he's ever actually made light heavy. Not for a while. <laughs> um, he, if you've ever seen him, he, just like we're discussing with J- Jermaine Smile, he's just huge yes. up top. Huge. That you look at him and you go. He's no way a light heavy. Could could you see him being heavyweight at some stage, or is no? He's too short. 
Right, so he's, he's, a, he's a perfect cruiserweight in that respect. He, physically, he'd resemble Tabisa Michunu, who was the cruiserweight that beat Fast Eddie Chambers. They have that similar build where they're not very tall, but they're incredibly wide and defensively sound. So he could be competitive at cruiser if he did move up that way. But there's no money in the cruiserweight division. And if you're looking towards the next four or five years, you know, guys who are coming up now like Josh Boatze, Umar Sadiq, who's making a lot of noise at the moment. All these guys are looking to be in and around 175, 168. That's where the money fights are going to be. It's not cruiserweight. Cruiserweight's never been a money division. So so what does the future hold for him then? He'll, he'll have a few more fights like this, I guess, until some, until either the money or the opponent is there for him. Uh, we're slightly off track. Anything you want to say about the Brentwood card, Martin? No, no, that covers it. <clears throat> okay, because then we also had... Cardiff. I didn't see anything to do with Cardiff. I was watching uh, the events on Sky. So, did you see anything to do with Cardiff? I've tried to catch up on some of them. I saw the the Flanagan fight against Cruz. Um, obviously, the talk in the media was about Cruz being an openly gay boxer. Thought Flanagan handled that questioning well. Didn't really think it should have been an issue. I, I'm disappointed that in boxing, this not sort unless you're Frankie Gavin. <laughs> did anyone see his tweet? No, <laughs> like what a. <laughs> Absolute disgrace. He tweeted, and there's a few things like this we're going to come across today. Okay. Uh, I've got it screenshotted somewhere because he's deleted it, so I made sure. So it was one of those tweets that he's clearly going to delete. <laughs> um, it's not the most offensive thing in the world. Just said something like, um, Flanagan has to win this um, because I know if I ever lost to a gay opponent, uh, I would be bantered for the rest of my life by my mates. So, what? Why even bring it into the equation? There you go. But he has. I'll leave it there, but he has. What, that he's brought it into the equation? Uh, Cruz has brought it himself into no, the No, 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 no. That, that Gavin has lost to a gay boxer. Well, <laughs> yeah, there were various uh, photos put back to him of, uh, you know, <laughs> hinted gay boxer walking naked down the beach with two other men. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so let's say no more about that. So Frankie Gavin needs to be careful what he says. Yes. And, and this is the thing, that there are a number of boxers who I have heard, if not gay, definitely entertain male attention, which I have no issue with. So these guys are doing well for themselves. So when when when, when I hear this homophobic stuff, I'm like, listen, you're in the ring. And if you get your ass beaten by someone who is gay, then what does, you know, what will you say then? You wrong, can't, wrong choice of words, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> someone had to point it out for fuck's sake someone had to point oh, it out oh wow you're listening to the junior new age boxing <laughs> podcast so in, in essence like kick homophobia the, the fuck out of boxing because that sport's tough enough right you, you're, you're going toe to toe with someone and I say this you can't be homophobic you can't be rape you can't be anything when you're getting your face punched in by that person that you supposedly dislike what about if you're a sexist well can I just bring this up Andy Ailing Frank Warren's right hand man um <laughs> He put on a Facebook status of somebody else uh, after Katie Taylor, um, you know, we'll talk about that later. She uh, convincingly, Olympic gold medalist Katie Taylor goes out, smashes her opponent, looks phenomenal in doing so. Um, somebody had written on Facebook about, you know, that's a great performance. That's a, a new dawn for women's boxing in the UK. Like, what a positive. Andy Ayling, Frank Warren's right-hand man, another thing that I screenshot because I'm sure it'll get deleted at some point. Um, writes back, can I watch the highlights on Snatch of the Day? <laughs> like, you Jeez. absolute fucking cretin. Like, oh, ah, why? Why Why do people have this need just to make stupid... This is a guy who's a right-hand man to Frank Warren. Frank Warren has just secured the biggest TV deal he's ever had with BT Sport. And his right-hand man is on social media making such, like, misogynistic comments... I'm sure it's meant in like lightheartedness, but when you read it, you can only read it as it is on a screen. Like just so stupid and massively, massively, just ridiculous comment to make. I find it uh, the part I find entertaining is the fact that these people hold these positions and yet they're not intelligent enough to know that even if they do feel that way, 
Don't tell everyone. Yeah, but but, but here's the problem. <laughs> you mong. These, these are the same idiots who, who who will sit there in your face and go, wow. Thing is about these black fighters is, yeah, they got all the flash in that. You know, they got all the flash, all that. Yeah, all the good in there, all six pack in there. But I can't sell any fucking tickets. And I'm like, when you keep telling people negative stuff about black fighters, who the fuck's going to buy their tickets? You know, they, they, these guys are so ignorant about the world around them that they, they keep identifying stuff and they keep hating, but they're never progressive. And look, why do you think Eddie Hearn stole a march on Frank Warren? Because Eddie Hearn doesn't have guys that Andy Aiding around him at all. You know, they, they will do what's best for the bottom line. And what Andy Aiding did is just, it's brand damage, really. What? I 100% agree. Um, you know, I tweeted it out to BT Sport and uh, various others. Do they block Katie you? Taylor? <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, Johnny Nelson like picked up on it and just said, "Why are people so dumb?" or something like that. And like, I have to agree completely. And there's just no place for it, you know. Like, just be all encompassing: black, white, gay, straight, female, male. If someone can fight, they can fight. And Katie Taylor can fight. You know, Orlando Cruz didn't necessarily prove it, but he can fight. He hasn't got to that level by luck. Just accept it and get on with it. I love the fact that with, I don't love it, but what I find um, baffling with women's sport is that, first of all, they find, they, they get this sort of like, um, this restriction of acceptance, right? And then when they finally do break through, you get some, <laughs> they have to be hot as well. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Do you know who's that UFC but who's Ronda Rousey. yeah Ronda Rousey? She can't just be a good fight. She's got to be smoking hot as well. That is a that's a real difficult few steps to to break through for a sort any any female fighter. Yeah, it's mad. Do you think that boxing particularly suffers with these issues or like uh, racism, sexism, whatever? Is it more prevalent in boxing or is it just a sport as a whole? Because to me, it, f- it certainly feels without necessarily a qualification, that it's it's more endemic within boxing. It's a social problem. I think I think what boxing is, is boxing is that sport where it's predominantly working class, predominantly male, and predominantly white. So if you watch a typical London show, you're going to get a lot of guys from the former docking heartland, you know, your Canning Towns, your Bermondsey's. So... It's almost magnified. But look, this is a social problem. It's not a boxing problem. In the same way racism is not a football problem, it is a social problem. As a sexism. I think also, you know, times have moved on. People of a younger generation don't necessarily hold the same views on a whole as the older generation. I know that's very, very generalistic. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not painting everyone with the same brush. But when you have people like Andy Ayling that have been around in the sport for Christ knows how long those older person's views will stick with them. Now, Eddie Hearn, like him or loathe him, and, you know, it's very easy to do either at times. He's a younger, less tainted person within the sport. And he brings with him, you know, slightly fresher views, hopefully. Frank Warren himself said that he doesn't want to see women in the ring. He said that in an interview not that long back. Along those words, it's not quite verbatim. Eddie Hearn's embracing it. Eddie Hearn's going to make a star out of Katie Taylor. She's going to be... Ireland's boxing hero he will whether or not it's long term I would be highly doubtful but what he'll do in the short term is make a lot of money out of her make a lot of money for her and make her into a massive star now that's because he's a bit more forward thinking than some of those that are tainted by you know social sexual racial uh comments commitments whatever and I think the Andy Ailing one just sums up for me how it's so badly stuck in another era so so one of the things people don't really understand is if you go back to the 1890s women learning how to box was like part of their training as ladies so the upper class women all learned to box there was issues around whether they should spar or fight, but they all learned to box. And then what happened during the war, when all the men went away, you had female bouts. So women's boxing, we, we, we forget because they don't really teach us the right history, but women's boxing has been around for as long as men's boxing has been around. Women have been fighting for money. So I know I'm probably in a, in a small minority here when I say I've always been accepting of women's boxing because I've always understood it has always existed. You know, now what we're trying to do is we're trying to commoditize it and turn it into a product that we can enable the athletes involved to make a good living. Nice rant. I like it. Good stuff. Okay, uh, going back to 
Cardiff, do you have anything else to add to that? I watched no. a bit of um, Tommy Langford, Sam Sheedy for the British middleweights. That was the one that Chris Eubank was uh, meant to be involved in then pulled out. <laughs> Sam Sheedy just didn't really get himself going early enough. Uh, Tommy Langford is a workhorse over 12 rounds. Langford picked it up on a, a points decision. If Eubank was in the other corner, it would have been a different result, I think. You know, Sam Sheedy isn't isn't British class, isn't high British class. Tommy Langford, you know, he's ranked two or three with the WBO. It just shows how ridiculous that ranking is. Um, he's a good enough fighter to be at that British level. He, there were some good British fights for him. Um, undoubtedly, you know, I'd like to see him in with Lee Markham, the likes of Joe Mullinder. Uh, those kind of fighters would be good, entertaining fights, no doubt at all. Um, and he did well to win that fight. Wouldn't necessarily want to see it again, particularly, but I think you know, there's probably there's a ceiling to how far Tommy Langford can go based upon that and the, the, you know his career to date. Uh, I don't think it's world level, although with the WBO, it's an easy fight to make him versus Billy Joe Saunders when you know they stop saying that Billy Joe Saunders is going to fight Canelo or Golovkin or whoever. He will probably end up with Tommy Langford. Yeah, um, and then just to touch on Flanagan, um, wasn't a vintage Flanagan performance because I think sometimes we get caught up into the hype about Flanagan versus Crawler. Flanagan's not a heavy-handed guy. Someone else would have definitely bombed Cruz out of there because he didn't really show up with any ambition. So Flanagan was able to tee off at will. So if anyone out there saw the stoppage, I don't know how many punches Flanagan had to throw till, till he caught him on the chin. But it was far too many punches and a more game fighter would have just taken the approach of, actually, let me let this guy tie himself out. So I think there are probably a few questions around Flanagan now than there were before. Okay. Um, is that our is that our Cardiff? Is that, is... Pretty much. Um, the only other thing that interested me was probably Nathan Gorman. So watching Nathan Gorman slowly rise up, I imagine he will become a Warren fighter and he will, in addition to Huey Fury, become one of the you know one of the the Warren heavyweights and it'll be interesting to see which direction they go. Can we just before we move on just point out um the slight farce of what the card was because it was meant to be headlined by Liam Williams versus Ahmet Patterson. Ahmet Patterson, you know, really unfortunately in the build up to the fight like the week before got hit by some youth when he was out doing his run. Um so Liam Williams gets a late change of opponent <laughs> And handily, the WBO European belt happens to be available and can be attached to the fight. Uh, Liam Williams won. I didn't see the fight. I'm not really that interested in it because it was a bit of a, a throwaway by the end, which isn't any of their fault. Don't get me wrong. And then Billy Joe Saunders was meant to be on the card. Um, and it was announced in the lead up to the fight. Um, Akafov, his opponent, <laughs> uh, he sent over his paperwork in Russian and by the time they got it translated, they found out that it wasn't complete. So they had to go back and get more information. And therefore, they didn't have time to complete the paperwork <laughs> properly. Have you ever heard a worse excuse for a world title fight not being on a card at a week's notice? Other than Guillermo Rigondeau not having a visa sorted out, which was also a Frank Warren card. The point here is, like, Billy Joe Saunders is going to fight next week up in Paisley, I think, in Scotland on a Jack Cattrall card, like one of the most obscure world title defences you're ever going to see, I think. When you've got a big BT contract around the corner, it's all well and good that you can kind of cancel these headline shows. The Ahmet Patterson one you can do nothing about, I appreciate that. But you can't just switch a world title fight off of an advertised show and onto somewhere else. If you've got BT Sport expecting you to deliver world title events and world title cards, you can't do that. Like... This doesn't bode well for a, a contract whereby you've got to deliver 20 shows per year onto a TV network. When it's your own TV network, you can do what you want, presumably. But when you've got to do it for some big boys at BT Sport, that, to me, like there would be some huge alarm bells ringing. As in lack of professionalism going forward? Yeah, and I mean, the, Harley Ben, he was meant to be debuting in Brentwood on Friday night. Nigel Ben's kind of other son, uh, aside from Connor. He also didn't have his, um, there was some medical paperwork hold up. Now, if you're going to use an excuse, use a different one. Do you know what I mean? Like, from what I've heard, there are... <laughs> it was sent over in Russian. <laughs> 
<laughs> from, what <laughs> I've, from what I've heard, it's been very hard to match Harley Ben because he's not very good. Um, I don't know how true that is or not, but using this like it's like you've got excuse of the week toilet paper and you've used it and then oh shit we've got to do it again because harley ben can't get out ah just use it again no one can be bothered in the admin office it it just looks really bad it's embarrassing because he seems to be the only guy where this is happening and it also it's no coincidence that he's also the the guy least open to outsiders being in the organization so eddie hearn for example if you're a young kid and you're a social media with match will get hold of you and go listen you can add value here. You're in. Frank Warren, he'll go, Well, you ain't been in boxing for forty years. Nah, you can't you can't nah, you can't. You don't understand it. And what ends up happening is you get jokes like this. Look, they could have just put a tweet out. Can anyone speak Russian? Need help with paper? <laughs> 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 yeah. No, that would scream professionalism. That would that would swing the complete other way then. So that would have like, been a good idea. Like I know enough Russians that they could have just like emailed me the documents and gone, mate, how long will it take to translate this? Like in fact, hold on. Google Translate. There, there, there's all these sorts of things that could have taken the, the yeah. sting out of this. Okay. Um right, so should we move on to Wembley? Let's go. Let's uh Saturday's review of the Wembley card. What did you think? <laughs> there were a lot of people. A lot of people I saw criticising this on social media. That I just think it, it was what it was. Like they weren't trying to paint it up as like a huge main event show. It was for rising prospects to get their opportunity to headline shows, be on the undercard of shows, and actually get their moment on Sky Sports and to test them. Um, so I think Terry's probably. He's been chomping at the bit about talking about these tests to sink or swim. So over to you, Tell. <laughs> I think Terry enjoyed it. I think I've sat here week after week saying Eddie's getting away with this. Eddie's getting away with this. Eddie's getting away with this. And then the boxing god said, enough is enough here. Now, I'm going to set my stall out early. I think boxers should lose and they should lose early. And the reason I say that is if you look at the most dynamic area in the economy right now, the whole startup, the whole tech space, that's their whole mantra. Listen, let's find out where the flaws are. Let's find out where the mistakes are, fix them, move on. So I don't mind fighters losing. It's, it's how you lose and how you come back. So I've always said this. If Hearn matches his guys hard and they have hard fights, when we, when we look back on their CV, it's solid. But he's been trying to take the easy way out, you know. And the boxing god said, do you know what? All these walkovers you're going to give your fighters, we're just going to pull them out one by one. And the boxing gods did. I don't think it did any of the boxers any harm. That's my opinion. But Eddie, Eddie's sat now going, shit, I need to look at next year's plan now because it's all gone tits up. So run us through what you're talking about specifically. Um... I'm going to choose my words carefully here because there are people who I've got a lot of time for, so I don't want anyone to get offended when I talk through this. We'll start with, you know, the the, the standard number one. Let me let me just go through in order is where they come from my head. Congratulations to Danny Dignam. Uh, we talked about him last week. Class, you know, did the business in his debut, so happy for him. Happy for Ted Cheeseman against Lloyd Ellett. You know, Ted is bringing that, you know, that Bermondsey, you know, that demographic with him, good ticket seller, you know, good prospect, you know, good boxing guy, got a lot of time for him. Um, Jake Ball lost in the first round. Now, I saw him get pilloried on social media. And do you know what? Fuck this. Who the I, fuck's pillorying him for? People, <laughs> people, you know, the whole social, ah, he got what he, ah, <laughs> Eddie's golden boy got dumped. And I looked at that and I went, I'm doubling my enthusiasm for Jake Ball now because he lost in the first round. It's not like he took a sustained beating. He just fought a guy who who came out knowing he had nothing in the tank and said, I only have one, one and a half rounds to get this done. Got caught on the hop. I think Jake's super talented. He'll come back from this. And I'm happy it's happened now and not after 15 or 16 fights I've because seen he won't slip again. JJ Madonna has iced men before like this yeah. isn't the first time he's done it this is a hard hard fight it was a late change of opponent cracking performance cracking performance from JJ McDonald. like going out there and doing that to a top prospect like Jake Ball shows there's something in there for him so hopefully he can go on and you know claim some of the spot 
from somebody else. He's not a matchroom fighter. Maybe he will be uh, in the near future. I don't know. But yeah, like he took a loss, Jake Ball. Fine. Absolutely fine. Like he got knocked out of the ring. He actually went over the top rope and then he got sparked when he came back in. Fine. Like that happens in boxing. You take a loss. Like he's still going to come back and be a, a weapon in that division. But McDonough, in the meantime, can take that limelight because he deserves it. Yeah, I remember writing when when I had to list my prospects and just saying, in three years' time, people will wonder why they weren't watching Jake Ball. And I still believe the same thing. Um, I Look, I'm glad he's okay, number one. Number two, he will learn from this because he's in the right camp to learn from this. And then, more importantly, man, you've got to get behind your fighters because this is the same crap I heard being said about O'Hara Davis. O'Hara Davis, in his whole life, has had about 26 fights in a ring. Amateur and professional. That's rank novice. There's a kid called Mason Smith who boxes for Islington now. He's, I don't even think he's even 22 and he's had 104 bouts or something. You know, you need that experience. You need that comfort in the ring and people expect him to go in with someone like Scarpa and Scarpa's, he's grizzled. He's, you know, he's experienced. And what do they expect O'Hara Davis to do? To just bomb him out because Scarpa's just going to roll over and give his belt. I think the problem there, like I was critical of Davis Davis talks a very, very uh, hyperbolic game before a fight. Like he bigs himself up to the nth degree, and he didn't display it. Like he, that performance was. Don't me, it was one twenty one oh eight. He dominated every round. He did something. You know, John Wayne Hibbert. We saw he's on the way out. We're not going to talk about that. I suspect he got smashed by Geffen. But Scarpa beat John Wayne Hibbert, and Davis beat Scarpa twelve rounds to none. Um, it was a, a complete walkover. But to me, there wasn't enough in that. Like when people talk about Josh Taylor against Sahara Davis, like that is not a fight Sahara Davis needs any time in the next twenty-four months. I but agreed. I have a question just based on something you just said. Why is a fighter's uh, match the amount of fights they've had any sort of idea as to how experienced they are? Because it presumably you could have someone who has got say 10 20 fights and they've all gone the distance in a professional sense or you could have someone with say 50 amateur fights and they're only three rounds each and they've only been two minutes long so 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 i'll speak from having taken you know when you take people from having never been in the ring in their life what happens is you become used to the routine showing up being on weight being in shape all this stuff becomes autonomic like it's just your routine it's who you are um, boxers like to use the expression I'm living the life and you only learn that with bouts and going through that cycle over <coughs> excuse me over and over again you learn that so what happens is if you have 50 amateur bouts and we're going to go on to Lomachenko who apparently had 397 bouts what happens is the things you're thinking about in the ring are not the same things that I'd be thinking about in the ring you're, you're thinking, it's like Formula One drivers. Formula One drivers are not thinking about corners. They're not thinking corner to corner. They're thinking about a whole race strategy because it's all autonomic for them. They've been doing it for so long. So when you have someone going into the pros after 12 amateur bouts, they haven't really mastered the amateur side of it and they haven't seen all the different styles that they could have done. So that's one of the challenges. The second thing is they're not in a routine. You know, boxing's not their life yet. So, 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 I, my own view, I think people need about 30 or 40 amateur bouts before they think about going pro because that gives promoters like Steve Goodwin, for example, it gives him a big enough data sample to go, has this guy got it? These weren't just lucky knockouts, you know? Yeah, over which, 30- which level are they going to come in at? Yes. You see? So you need that experience to demonstrate that. Otherwise, it's a gamble. So Joshua, Olympic gold medalist, that wasn't a gamble. No matter how how few bouts he had, he had a gold medal to show that there are no amateur heavyweights who can trouble this guy. Maybe Savon, but that's another discussion. Same thing with Tony Yoka now. You're looking at Tony Yoka and you're like, Tony Yoka beat Joseph Parker in the Junior World Championships when they, when they were both amateurs. So Yoka has pedigree in the amateurs. So you imagine if he comes into the pros, he's looking at Parker going, there's nothing he has that I don't have. Um, just as an aside, wouldn't be surprised if that Monaco card was a prelude to Eddie Hearn signing either Tony Yoka or Tony Yoka and his fiance Estelle Mosley. Going back to Wembley as well, whilst we're at, um, 
Ben Hall got <sighs> battered by Carson Jones. I you think it's probably that. the yeah, Ben Hall is a man who is going from <clears throat> you know Southern area level where he got badly rocked against Ryan Toms, didn't he? Um, thinking back. He was not in a position where he was able to challenge Carson Jones. Now, Carson Jones, he's best known for you know a couple of fights with Kel Brook. He's fought Brian Rose twice. Uh, he's mixed it at world level. Now, there's a lot of stuff outside of the ring with Brian Jones, which is probably uh, Carson Jones, sorry, which is probably documented somewhere. You can find out for yourselves. But you know, the version of Carson Jones that turned up on Saturday night was one that was far, far above the level that Ben Hall is at. Ben Hall clearly wasn't comfortable in that ring. Quite what on earth, if anyone can explain to me, Eddie Hearn was doing, getting involved with Peter Sims in the corner and debating whether or not he should have one more round or whether he should be pulled out. As a job of a promoter, I don't understand. Um, by the by, you know, Carson Jones had too much from too much experience, too much ring nails, and Ben Hall got shown up. Um, Reese Bellotti and Bailey, Impressive performance from Reese Bellotti. Stopping Ian Bailey is something that hasn't happened for many a fight, a fair few years. Uh, so I think there's an awful lot we can look out for with uh, with Reese Bellotti. I said John Wayne Hibbert got smashed to pieces by Martin Gethin. Um, John Wayne Hibbert's retired on the back of that I've seen today. So John Wayne Hibbert is never the most. Ta- he's never going to reach that world level, but you know he was a. A man who put a lot into the sport, a lot of effort. So, you know, good luck to him in retirement. And one of those ones you want to thank as they kind of leave the sport. So one of the things I took away from this, and I said to myself, who was advising Eddie Hearn about these fights? Because if someone had said to me, Ben Hall fighting Carson Jones, my immediate reaction would have been, not yet. Because Carson Jones isn't, you know, people like to say, oh, Carson Jones is just an American journeyman. And I think I said it in last week's podcast. In a different world, Carson Jones would be among the 154 contenders or the 147 contenders because he was a talented amateur. What happened was he didn't get picked up by anyone. So then he became the the road warrior, as they call them. You know, the guy who had to go abroad and fight. But if I'm, I think he's from Philly, isn't he? Yeah. So well-schooled well Philadelphian. And what he's good at is working out where you're weak. He'll expose your weaknesses. And in in in... In British boxing, we don't coach our guys enough about the science of boxing. So what happens in these gyms, you do a bit of pads, you do stuff on the back, but you do what your coach tells you. Your coach doesn't sit you down and say, in certain situations, if a guy's coming with a body attack, this is how you have to nullify it. This is how you take this thing out of the shoulders. No one, no, no one gets educated in that sense. So what happens with Ben Hall is, he's what I call a corner-to-corner fighter. So he he has to take instructions in the corner to execute the next three rounds and then come back for more instructions. You know, had, had, you know, had he had a bit more Nelson, he, he would have known how to, how to just frustrate Carson Jones till he worked out what the hell he was doing. Tie him up, make it awkward, you know, rub the heads together because Jones would have done that if he was in the same position, I promise you. So we need to look at that, you know, Martin Gethin versus John Wayne Hibbert. I've always liked Gethin's left hook, if I'm being brutally honest. I, I it's, it's one of those rare things in British boxing. Nice chopping, short. There's no no real swing to it. It's just all hip turn. And there was a home for that all night. So I, I imagine Eddie will have a post-card review session with his team and go, I don't want to get shown up like that again. Because the boxing gods basically said, look, here you go. I think with the increased competition, with the BT Sport stuff, with whatever else comes out over the next few months of other competition, I think this is probably a bit of a, a trim in the fat session. And I think some of that will go. And Hearn's focus will be on the higher end of the talent pool. Uh, rather than, you know, the John Wayne Hibbert leaving is probably a very good analogy of, <laughs> of that card in that you're going to find a few of them that I think Hearn will be a bit more ruthless with now. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see because I think we discussed this whether, you know, Eddie's sitting there just going, actually, I thought I had some tough choices to make in December. A lot of you guys are making those choices easier for me, you know. I forgot to mention, well done to Craig Richards for actually, you know, doing what he was supposed to do there. He did his thing. Um, Still still don't think middleweight's his weight. I'd like to see him at super mid. He looks better at super mid um, having having taken him on the pads and stuff, the power's there at super mid, but he just, I guess it's just about, you know, growing as a man, but just delighted for the kid. 
you know, good luck to him. In fact, look, good luck to everyone on that card who's got to come back from a setback or who did well. Yeah. Keep building or keep rebuilding because boxing fans are fickle. There are people saying O'Hara Davis saying shit, he doesn't live up to the hype. I'm like, you can't judge O'Hara Davis now. You've got to judge O'Hara Davis when he's on fight 17, fight 18. Then I'll be looking to him to be smashing people to pieces. I think there was a final one that I think we forgot to mention, Martin J. Ward. I'm not a fan of Martin J. Ward at all. Um, clearly, he's struggling to get out of amateur mode when he steps into that ring because he's just so tappy with his shots. Just There is so little that he does to sit there. He's very elusive. Um, boring. And boring is a very good word. I can't remember the name of his opponent. If I'm, I'm really bad. The guy with the redhead, Scottish fella. Yeah, ah, it's going to annoy me now. Yeah, it's going to annoy Ricky Clark. Um, who I thought second half of that fight, yeah, he must be a nightmare to fight against. Walks forward with that demonic smile on his face. <laughs> um, I, I was really rooting for Ricky Clark by the end. Well, he, was I was, sh- he definitely shaking him towards the well, end. He knocked him down, didn't he? Yeah. Um, he got clean. It wasn't even like, oh, he clocked yeah. clean. I think if he realised how badly he'd hurt him by the 11th and 12th, he would have probably thrown everything that he had at him. Um, but I, <laughs> Ricky Clark made that a more interesting fight uh, I'm not a big fan of Martin J. Ward. There you he, go. He'll get exposed. Once he moves up a level, he'll be badly exposed. And and it's one of those things. I think I do think Eddie Hearn needs to look at his roster and needs to start saying, actually, I've given some people too many chances. I know he did the interview with Coogan Cassius where he was like, I've been too nice. Um, but then we've got the card on December 10th. And I'm like, have you really been too nice? The answer to that is absolutely not. Um, it will be nice to Callum Smith. <laughs> Tough one with Callum Smith. I, I don't know why they're so obsessed with that WBC belt, but hey, who am I to make decisions? I'll, I'm intrigued to see who Eddie does sign in December. He said he's going to announce his new signings. So let's see who he signs. I, I do, man. I, if he signs Tony Yoka, then I think Matchroom are in for an interesting new era. Um, everyone else you kind of expect. So you expect Josh Boatsy to be with him by the start of the year. Um Maybe Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence looked very cosy at Wembley yesterday, so maybe him. Josh Warrington. Let's talk about him quickly. Uh, Heard a couple of little stories that he might be on his way to Frank Warren. His dad was sat next to Frank Warren. um, The Cardiff show, I think it was. Was it the the Brentwood one? I can't remember. That's a bit then, yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, that's not the only element of the story to it, so don't be overly surprised if Josh Warrington ups and leaves <laughs> and is one of the first sign-ins over at uh, Frank Warren. It'll be interesting because it gives Frank Warren leads, like, in terms of a boxing city. Yeah, you just buy a region. Why flag things like that? Because that's quite obvious to anyone who's got, like, a trained eye of something, you know, just like... Why it's a they... subtle hint, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> it's so look, if you're, if you're going in for, a, if you're like... going in for a salary negotiation... Would you not leave a couple of little hints around that, oh, well, I've been looking at other jobs. It's, it's, That's what he's done. He's left his dad down next to Frank Warren and gone, right, Eddie, pay me for making Leeds your stronghold and all the money that I've made you, or I'll fuck off to Frank Warren. So, yeah, interesting. So in very, very interesting times, I, I, I'd quite like to see some of these rosters trimmed. I, I, I think you should have, like you do in business, you should have three years. If you don't deliver in three years, you should be out. Maybe even two years. Like you, you got two years to get to a certain level. If you don't hit it, you're out. Because as a, as a boxing fan, I'm sure you guys are the same. I'm bored of being fed bullshit. That's it. I'm bored of being fed meaningless and fights. shown. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant information-wise, but like... All of it. Like, you sit yeah. there, these cards, and Eddie tries to tell me that this fight's meaningful. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it just isn't. It, it's, not a, it's, it's not a meaningful fight. On the surface, Jimachenko is a Latvian taxi driver, but in reality, like, uh, my he's boy, unbeaten. My boy, Paul Hindley. Shout out to Paul Hindley, who uh, has one of the best Twitter accounts out there for boxing. Uh, but he tweeted something earlier that I saw about... Tony Bellew, I think, is eight to one going into the David Hay fight, which tweeted uh, the the odds for that being eight to one for Tony Bellew, which by Sky standards for pay per view makes this a relative pick'em, <laughs> which is absolutely right. I just look, but I, I say this all the time: as long as we keep lapping this stuff up, as long as we keep 
tweeting because you know when when Hearn announced that December tenth card and you had these these boxing blog wankers just there going Eddie great card I'm really looking forward to it I'll be first in line for a ticket they're just all his fake accounts no no <laughs> but, but all they want is that stupid retweet yep. so so I'll go to their website and read factually incorrect bullshit and 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 you know what it's it's really interesting and. I know I'm almost part of the problem I'm about to define, but I don't think I am because, you know, my, my legacy in the sport speaks for itself, you know, as it does with others. But there's a whole ecosystem that exists around boxing where I have to take a step back and go, you guys are being very critical about a sport that outside of being ticket buyers, you have no greater engagement with, you know? You don't understand when when fighters are close to breaking point or when a fighter damages his hand sparring. You don't know that moment, those two minutes when you realise, shit, he can't fight. And you're there going, oh, he's bottled it because he's a coward. And you're like, come on, man. And there's a whole ecosystem fueled by people like that, you know, who are high on opinions and low on integrity. And that's not good for the sport, you know. So there's a responsibility. Like I try to be balanced, you know. I, I give people a kicking when they deserve it and I give them a, a round of applause when they deserve it. But it's... It, it's those sorts of people. Stop kissing ass. Stop doing things for retweets and attention. Yeah, just be honest about the sport, and that's the only way the sport advances. Um, just going back to the uh, the card, the Bellu. Now the Bellu odds. Uh, I still think I I quite liked the tweet that you put out with you stole it or not, I don't know. Which was, for example, in this scenario, Tony Bellu's eight to one. That means if you put a pound on. <laughs> You lose a pound. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> like that. Um, okay, Katie so we have. So we have. Yeah, of course, Katie yeah, Taylor. Yeah, cool, yeah, all right, then far away. What a phenomenal debut performance. Like, I don't know anything about her opponent at all. Um, I don't know if she's good, bad, or indifferent. But Katie Taylor, like, you can only judge her by how she performed, and she was sensational. She picked her shots, she planted her feet, and she squared up, and she she landed so many quality shots that she... I'd heard from one of the um, the Upton brothers, I can't remember if it was Paulie or Sonny before, about being on Irish um, international camps. Every male would end up sparring with Katie Taylor, and they said she is so hard to get in with. And you could see that uh, on Saturday night. Like, what a performance... Whatever your views are on women's boxing, I'm not massively high on it personally. It's nothing, you know, against women or whatever. Like I just don't know enough about it. I haven't seen it. It's not been exposed enough. If you get more performances like that out of Katie Taylor, I'll embrace it. Like, I'm all for it because she looked like that was as good as watching many, many, many of the male fights that I've ever seen. Like if she keeps up that level and you know they build her, then I'm all for it. Absolutely brilliant. Terry, did you see the fight? Oh yeah. Um, um, uh, so, a quick question then: How do we know, playing devil's advocate, how do we know that Katie Taylor is a good boxer, and it's not because of the poor quality of the opponent? Ah, oh, because she's done it in the amateurs. And I remember I've said this numerous times: the best females in boxing are in the amateurs. There's no debate about that because most most amateur programs are fully funded. You're there, residential, and I mean, boxing becomes your life. Katie is the best of that bunch. So when Katie comes in to fight a lady who might be a personal trainer on the side, might be a bit part-time, then wow, you know, that's what you see. So I think Katie Taylor's class. Um, I have a general belief that when it comes to the skill side of the game, I generally think women are better. There, I don't. I don't ask me why, but there, <laughs> well, I was about to ask you why. <laughs> there, there, there's something about Any training. Theories? Well, I think it's. I think. I think it's a lack of testosterone and the lack of that machismo that men have. Of I just want to take your head out. Women more focus on just executing, throwing the jab properly, so they don't really sacrifice that technique. You could the, perhaps argue then that those the most successful male boxers are those that can control that. You know what you. So you're. I suppose you're referring to that. That sort of lose your head sort of ness yes it's how calm can you be in that situation and and execute and katie taylor's good at that the problem she's going to have is who will she fight a year from now because let's take a davis as an example 
I know who I'd like Ohio Davis to fight one year from now. I know who I want Craig Richards to fight a year from now. I know who I want Manny Pacquiao to fight a year from now. I don't know who I want Katie Taylor to fight a year from now. Who on earth and do you want Manny Pacquiao to be fighting a year from now? I'd like him to be fighting nobody and be nice and retired and not getting brain damage. <laughs> but you see, but but, but we but see, but we have an answer to that. Katie Taylor, we're like, well, who's out there? We don't know. But what we do know is she's so far ahead of everyone in that division, that 130 pound division, that her fights will be entertaining to watch her do her thing, but she's not going to be tested. I don't think she's going to be tested by anyone in the pros unless they start to unless they start to sign the people she was fighting in the amateurs. That's the only way this is going to work. You know, this whole thing of she'll become our Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey became Ronda because she walked into a sport that already existed. Women's MMA was already there. And she went in and she dominated against people where guys were like, oh, she's beating people who are good. Misha Tate, respected. All of these people she was beating were respected. So when Holly Holm beat her, Holly Holm then became respected. But Holly Holm's not marketable like Ronda Rousey. So then she didn't get the favorable fights that she, you know, that Ronda would have had. And then, you know, they took the belt off her. They found a way of getting the belt back in the direction of Ronda Rousey. Because Ronda's marketable. She, she look, you know, she's got that look that guys go, I wouldn't mind if she was my girlfriend. She has that whole thing of, she has a good story. She was an Olympian, you know, but she's a good looking woman who can kick ass. And, you can't separate the two when it comes to marketing female sport and you won't change that in this generation, that's for sure. Right, so we're approaching the 50, or the hour mark, essentially. And um, what we're going to end up doing is we're going to split this podcast. We've got, these are all the reviews that we're going to be talking about, Lomachenko, Walters in a sec. But we've also got Bellew, Hag to talk about. We've got Ortiz versus Allen to talk about. We've got previews for next weekend and we've got a whole host of questions from you fabulous listeners. So what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up the rest of the reviews and and then we will publish a second podcast for you to listen to everything else just to keep you guys in the loop. Lomachenko, Walters, gents. Uh, what, what happened and what did we think? Masterclass. <clears throat> what a masterclass. It only makes me feel more stupid for last week when we listed our uh, top five, you know, best in the world that we'd managed to omit him somehow. It's a bit embarrassing. Um, Nicholas Walters going in there, the axe man. He comes in with this reputation of being a heavy hitter. You know, could Lomachenko essentially, could his skill, could his style outlast, um, you know, the grit and the power of uh, Walters? Yes. (laughs) Yes, undoubtedly, yes. Lomachenko is something else. Like he's not human. His ability to pivot off at shots and land shots at ease. Nicholas Walters wasn't beaten by the power of Lomachenko. He was beaten by himself and the dawning realization that he was never going to win that fight. After round one, you got the impression when he quit on his stool at the end of the seventh, was it? Um, and you could hear the ref saying, "Are you sure you don't want to come back out?" He's like, "Yeah." Yeah, like that's a man who wasn't hurt. He wasn't necessarily like beaten up. Ben Hall took more of a beating against Carson Jones than Nicholas Walters did against Lomachenko. That was a man who realised he wasn't in that fight because Lomachenko is on a different stratosphere to where he was. Um, Just tremendous. Terry, anything to add? So... I go back to Walters versus Jason Sosa, the same Jason Sosa that beat Stephen Smith. So he drew with Nicholas Walters, and a lot of people debated that. But I watched the fight, and I saw the weaknesses of Nicholas Walters, which were, if he can't bomb you out of there, if he can't intimidate you with his power, there's nothing else he has to offer. Now, let's go back to the supposed Sky experts, you know, notably Spencer Fearon. Spencer Fearon! <laughs> Who was adamant that Walters was a threat in this fight? Now, I'd seen the Jason Sosa fight, and I knew if you could nullify the power that Walters has, there's nothing else. So, what Lomachenko did is he used the first two or three rounds to just outdo him with foot speed. He knew Walters had been out for a year. He wasn't going to be sharp. He wasn't going to be quick. If you watch that fight, just watch the difference in foot speed where Lomachenko is able to 
to throw his jab, hop back out. Walters tries to counter with his jab, leaves himself open. And Lomachenko would just step back in with a backhand and go, this is what I'm going to do to you all night. And then when he felt like it, he just stepped around him. Yeah. And and the thing is, all Walters would have had to do in that fight was jab, step left, jab, step left. And he would have shut Lomachenko down. It would have been more of a fight, but he couldn't see that. And by round four, he, you could see he started to second guess himself. So he almost, he reverted back to being a novice because he was so confused and everything he had tried had failed he was starting to try things that weren't in his natural arsenal. So he started to look like a novice. And you saw the decline in round five, round six. By round seven, he'd given up. And there's a point, I don't know if you see this, but last 10 seconds of round seven, you can see he's looking for a way out. Just have a look. He's looking for a way out. And I found it interesting because Robert Garcia was in attendance as well, one of my favorite people in boxing. And he was just like, I can't believe he quit because Walters was not hurt. Let's be absolutely clear yeah. about this. He was not hurt, but he realized that either his corner had no answers to this or he had no answers to this. And does it put Lomachenko at the top of the pound for pound list? Not yet, because there's still guys at 130. We want to see him fight. For me, he goes into that pound for pound list when he boxes at lightweight, where he has no advantage. But they're talking about uh, Terry Flanagan from next, which great, like Lomachenko. You know, we were talking earlier about the uh, the difference between experience as amateur and pro and whatever. Lomachenko, two Olympic gold medals, three hundred odd um, amateur fights, and he's just he's gone through the weights as a professional. He's <laughs> It's crazy to think about how few professional fights he's actually had and what he's achieved with it. The, the, the one the one I'd like to see, you know, is him against Rigondeaux. Like, in terms of fighting, the smaller guys have one fight at 126 with Guillermo Rigondeaux. Let's see what happens in that fight. Because I think with Rigondeaux, you have a guy who thinks in the ring. So he solves problems in the ring. I don't, Walters isn't a guy to solve problems. I think Rigondeaux will solve problems and he'll create problems of his own. So him against Lomachenko, and I'm sure they must have fought as amateurs. There's no way you could have those guys as decorated as they are and they've never crossed paths. So I'd, I'd like to see that fight and then I'd like to see what he can do at... What, look, 126 Rigondeaux, 130 Tevin Farmer, 135. I'd like to see him against someone who's got a bit of pop in their punches, maybe even a Mikey Garcia. One final part before we move on. You mentioned earlier uh, Peter Sims speaking to Ben Hall when he was in the corner and Hearn speaking to... Now, I, what I certainly heard when I, when I watched it was almost Peter Sims trying to negotiate one more round with for Ben Hall to go in whilst Hearn was trying to get him to come out. The point, or the, the question I guess I'm trying to get at is something we've, we have tracked over before, but just an understanding of but surely boxing can't continue putting people at risk like this who's whose responsibility is it first of all why doesn't the sport understand that person's responsibility because if they do then you wouldn't be having negotiations like this and how long can boxing continue putting boxers at risk the way that this is happening what needs to happen because we've had deaths we've had serious injuries we've had near deaths Nothing seems to change. Sometimes they should stop sparring. Um, more being being a bit more serious. Eddie will put the fight to to Team Hall or Team Ball or Team Richards, and you'll go, look, I think you know this fight's really good, or these options are really good. You choose, and it's up to that corner to say, I don't think he's ready, or he is ready. And it can't be motivated by money when you're building a prospect. It has to be value-adding in terms of building his career because the money will come eventually. You know, pe people obsess about money too early in their career. What you really want is momentum and a legacy. Because if you look at Mayweather, before he was earning stupid money, he had already fought pretty serious guys. You know, the guy, you know I mean, he, he was winning world titles in his early 20s. Why? Because he took risks. So it's horses for courses, but... If I'm a boxer, I'm trusting the guys behind me to make the right choices. My only job is to step through those ropes and give my best. Right, so, so when Ben Hall is in the corner and 
Peter Sims is saying to him, "Don't you d- dare give up! Don't you give up!" Where where is where is the line from? Responsible, like if someone's looks like they're not interested in it and they're prepared to give up, is is he in the right frame of mind to be defending himself against a boxing onslaught? So, so a prime example of this is Tor Hamer. Tor Hamer is a guy in my time in New York. I got to be really good friends with Tor Hamer. Was a heavyweight. He was in Prize Fighter, actually, if people can remember. Um, not that big for a heavyweight, six two, but he could box, and he had won the New York Golden Gloves. He was a storied amateur career. But the problem with with Tor Hamer, he never admitted it, but it sort of came out in conversation. Was both his parents are academics? Um, I think they teach at Columbia. You know, came from a decent house. You know, decent family in Harlem. So when things got tough for Tor Hamer, what would happen was he just go. I'm an intelligent, educated guy getting my head punched in by the animal. Yeah, I don't, I don't, like like Victor Ortiz would say, I don't deserve to get beat up like this. (laughs) So, so he, he, he quit on the saw, I think twice. And I remember after the second one against, that wasn't Mike Perez. Who was it? He can't remember who he quit against. And, and then Lou DiBello was like, I'll never work with this guy again. Like it's, it's, it's embarrassing the sport and it's embarrassing me. And Tor Hamer just retreated back into, you know, boxing obscurity. He doesn't box anymore, but he never needed to. And there comes a point where you know your fighter. Like, you know with Victor Ortiz, if Victor Ortiz doesn't want to be in there, he's not going to be in there. He's notorious for that. But as a cornerman, you're looking at your guy going, is he safe to continue? And I have to trust that Peter Sims thought that Ben was safe to continue. Otherwise, it's a gross, I mean, it's it's gross misfeasance in your duties. So the cornerman has to make that decision over whether you're, you're, you should carry on or not. And, you know, he's got the towel if, if things do get too hairy. But that's a decision your corner has to make. Okay. Yeah, I think that's about as good as we're going to get. <clears throat> okay. Right, I guess that brings us to the end of uh, this sort of part one. I don't know, this is kind of new Look, territory. Can I out a quick preview? Oh, then. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next Saturday, I'll be down at York Hall once again for a good win show. Uh, what's the headline about? We've got two Southern Area title fights on there. So Ben Day, uh, the entertainer, taking on Mr. Michael. Ringtone. Mr. Ringtone Boxing Gym down at Houston. Um, shout out to Ben. Taking on Michael Devine, who most will probably know from his prize fighter exploits for a few years back. Uh, Southern Area lightweight title. For those who haven't ever seen Ben Day box, it's an experience. Um, he's mad as fuck like the man is like generally mad as fuck I love Ben Day to bits like, you know I have various bits to do with Ben Day wonderful man great story as well great actually. story huge background of alcoholism and various issues going on in his life uh, turned it all around with the help of Mick Collier from the board one day find him pissed out of his head in the gym uh, Ben didn't take up boxing till his kind of early 30s early to mid-30s, he turned pro after two white-collar bouts, uh, and now at the age of 38 is fighting for his second weight uh, Southern Area title. Get behind Ben Day. Uh, get behind Michael Devine. It's a cracking fight, this one. Ben Day can take a shot. Michael Devine can throw a shot. Michael Devine's been off training up in Manchester. He's got a new training set up. Um, but Ben Day is... He was in one of my fights of the year uh, this year, like a small hall fight of the year. It was him and Floyd Moore, like... For whatever you want to make of Floyd Moore as a boxer, he came to fight that night and Ben Day was able to, you know, use his unique style hands down. It's kind of style you'd like, Andy. Hands down by his side, just playing about with opponents, flicking out the jab. Um, you know, maybe doesn't work as hard as he should sometimes in the ring, but it all adds to the uh, the experience of watching. I love watching Ben Day. Um, other Southern Area title fight on there is the featherweight fight between Jamie Spate and Josh Kennedy. Josh Kennedy's taking it because Lucian Reed shit himself and wouldn't fight him at Super Bantamweight for uh, the title. Um, so Josh Kennedy instead has gone up to featherweight. This is an interesting one. He's gone up to featherweight to fight for the Southern Area title. Since that fight's been announced, it's also been announced that he's got a shot at the English title at Super Bantamweight. Um, so he could easily have pulled out of this Jamie Spate fight. But Josh Kennedy is a fighter. Uh, good amateur talent. Good amateur background. So instead of doing that, what he's agreed to do is he's going to move up to featherweight to fight Jamie Spate, try and win that Southern Area title, and then he's moving back down 
super bantamweight to fight for the English title. Um, so, you know, great. Like, fighters who want to fight, that's what we want to see. Um, there's also a Southern Area Eliminator on there. There's a, a big, big card. I think it starts at half three in the afternoon or something down in London, which would be a bit of a push to try and get down there for that. Um, but yeah, that'll be my Saturday next week. Yeah, I must admit, I I want the sport of boxing to be as safe as possible, right? That, you know, I don't want people to get long-term. I don't want any more Nick Blackwells. But I love it when boxers have absolutely no... Like no like complete disregard for their safety, have their arms down by the hip. Yeah. I love that. That's why I love like playing with fire almost. I just don't like if people get That's burned. <laughs> ben Day will um, take many many chances in the ring, and he trusts his um, his body enough, as he says himself. He hasn't got all the miles of uh, boxing carnage on his body. He's able to you know use his reflexes. He's still completely compass mentis, and he's. Um, you know, he's able to use his reflexes, the head, the head thinking as much as anything else. Um, so yeah, expect a good fight down there if you're there. Right, that just about wraps up part one. Unless uh, we've got any stop the press moments, because we're going to be back relatively soon anyway, uh, and then we will talk about the rest to come. So just to uh, just to go over it once more, we've got Bellu versus Hay talking about that. Uh, probably lots of praise for both teams. They're such great blokes. Ortiz versus Allen. Um, the previews for next weekend and tons and tons of questions, which are uh, of good quality, actually. See you on the other side. So we will see you shortly. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.